Hi, I'm Tavi Black. And I'm Christine Young. And this is The Personal Element. Where we listen to an essay we love and then discuss what makes it so good. This week, we're talking about an essay by Josh Kozell called Learning to Connect with My Male Friends, which was originally published in the New York Times. The essay is read by Dorothy Davis. I was 20 when I learned that my parents were splitting up. Two and a half years later, I hold no hard feelings against them and have loving relationships with both of them. But in the immediate aftermath of their split, I was a mess. I cried in my car, I cried in my bed, I cried while picking up cold meat at the grocery store. Despite my very public displays of distress, I did my best to maintain a stoic exterior when I was around people I knew. I didn't tell my closest male friend and former college roommate, Tim, about my parents' separation for weeks. Instead, I bantered about the latest sports news as if nothing had happened. I've always regarded my sensitivity as one of my greatest weaknesses. At my high school outside of Vancouver, British Columbia, the boys with quick jokes, often about other boys, were the most popular. I was someone who skirted on the periphery of social circles, wanting to be a part of the group, but desperate not to attract attention that would subject me to ridicule. I started counseling for anxiety and depression in 11th grade. My therapy sessions were directly after school, so they conflicted with my routine walk home with two of my male friends. Rather than telling them that I was seeking help, I came up with excuses, a doctor or a dentist appointment, to explain why I couldn't join them. Eventually, I got in the habit of simply saying I had an appointment. Years later, when I learned about my parents' separation, I similarly struggled to confide in my roommate. Why was that? Why even after counseling was I still so scared to open up to other men my age? Although research has shown that maintaining friendships as you age leads to a healthier life, men often struggle to have personal conversations and to keep friends. In a 2020 study of more than 46,000 participants from 237 countries and territories led by researchers from the United Kingdom, Young men living in individualistic societies, cultures that place a higher value on self-reliance rather than a collectivist mindset, such as the United States or United Kingdom, were more likely to report loneliness than older people or women. In 2015, Dr. John Agrodnichuk, the director of psychotherapy program at the University of British Columbia, launched an online program called Heads Up Guys that helps men manage depression. Looking to understand why men have trouble seeking mental health help, the organization developed an online survey to identify stressors that can contribute to depression. Even before the COVID-19 pandemic, loneliness was consistently ranked at the top of its survey for stressors on men. According to Dr. Ogrodnichuk, The pandemic has only compounded feelings of isolation for men. Why might men be lonelier than women, both in normal times and during the pandemic? After talking with experts in the psychology field, they reiterated it may have to do with a hesitancy to be vulnerable, which can come at the cost 
of intimacy in relationships. Holding in my emotions contributed to the demise of my first and only romantic relationship. Entering university, I was self-conscious about partying. Since I never attended parties in high school, I was also nervous about living on my own, and I was insecure about studying creative writing, a field that seemed impractical compared to the science and math degrees that most of my friends were pursuing. Rather than telling my ex-girlfriend about those anxieties, I consistently shut her out when she tried to help me cope until we broke up. Niobe Way, a professor of developmental psychology in New York University, believes that boys are conditioned to view emotional vulnerability as a weakness. As they grow up, boys are told that men should suppress and hide their emotions. It's a tragedy, Dr. Way said in a phone interview. In 2005, when Dr. Way was grappling with her crumbling marriage, she decided to pretend that all was well in front of her five-year-old son, Raphael. After work one day, when she greeted Raphael with an ear-to-ear grin, he asked, Mommy, why would you smile when you are feeling sad? His question struck Dr. Way because it demonstrated Raphael's recognition of both her real internal state and her performative outward demeanor. Boys start off in the first decade being remarkably emotionally astute and attuned, Dr. Ray said. Unfortunately, according to Dr. Ray, when boys are socialized to become men, they learn to avoid disclosing difficult emotions, especially to other men. In high school, I played basketball with Ben Weisman. We both played on the varsity team, an arena where I never felt comfortable sharing my anxieties for fear of losing my starting spot in the lineup and appearing mentally weak in front of my teammates. I was a year older than Ben, and we rarely talked. Years later, I found out that Ben, like me, silently battled with depression and social anxiety in high school. Last year, I noticed he started to go fund me and planned to run at least three miles every day for one year to raise money for breast cancer research after his mother received the diagnosis in 2019. I met with him last summer for the first time since high school and wrote about his run streak, but we didn't discuss our shared mental health struggles and adolescence. In January, Mr. Wiesman posted on his Instagram about a manic episode that ended his running goal and caused him to spend nine days in the hospital. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Reading his message, I reached out to him again to finally discuss our shared anxieties. I was fearful about what would happen if I told a friend, would they want to be friends with me anymore, he said to me in a phone interview days after he published his post. It wasn't until after he received positive comments and direct messages from strangers on his Instagram post that he began to feel comfortable discussing his vulnerabilities with friends and began encouraging other young men to do the same. There will always be people in someone's life that will care, he said. They might just not know. So that's why we have to talk about it. Four years after the only romantic relationship in my life ended, I've realized that all relationships require a certain degree of vulnerability. I remember when I finally told my roommate about my parents' separation. One evening, in one breath, I opened up about their split and my pain. It felt like a weight was lifted off my chest. 
Having gone years believing real men suppressed their feelings, I felt extremely relieved and comforted when he listened and showed empathy. It strengthened our relationship. Sharing that intimate detail played a key role in him becoming my closest friend and why we still regularly talk. In my conversation with Dr. Wei, she emphasized how boys, like her son, at young ages have the emotional astuteness to comprehend when someone is feeling sad. Those emotions must be nurtured, not altered by cultural stereotypes and perceptions of manhood. She says boys and men have the ability to understand emotions. Their feelings are just waiting to be valued. This is not a depressing story, Dr. Wei said. I agree. One thing that I really love about this essay is how vulnerable he is in it. And, you know, there's the irony, of course, that he's talking about how he can't be vulnerable, but in doing so, he he expresses a lot of vulnerability. Like in the third paragraph, he talks about how often he cried, which which really struck me because you don't hear a lot of men talking about crying even. And I don't I mean, I don't see a lot of men in my life crying, but I assume they do but you never hear them talking about it in the same way I hear my girlfriends talking about, you know, I cried because of this happened or, or that happened. Yeah. There's, I feel like there's so much that we can talk about uh, just subject matter in this essay. Uh, but I have to say, Christine, that's also probably my favorite little, I wouldn't even, I guess it's a paragraph. It's three sentences, but I cried in my car. I cried in my bed. I cried while picking up, cold meat at the grocery store <laughs> and my favorite part of that is cold meat why did he put cold meat why wasn't it hot meat <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so specific and I could really see him crying in these places or see a person crying in these places yeah we really connect with Josh I think because of that paragraph mm-hmm. and I think what is as you said so ironic about this is the reason that we connect with him is because he's talking about how he's having trouble connecting <laughs> but it endears him to us very much when he tells us that he's crying and he was a mess mm -hmm. and I also love that he says that he viewed his sensitivity as one of his greatest weaknesses again that that just feels like he's putting himself out there because he's owning up to this thing that that he once felt like was a great weakness and you know by the end of the essay he's seeing that it's not it's right and of course he's absolutely correct in that this is the way that men are expected to be seen as these strong strong males figures and i think about how strong is cool in men or women really think about movies that we see think about like neo and the matrix think about like and this is taking you back but like xena warrior princess i don't mm. know if you remember those shows that were on in the 90s or, or to be more contemporary maybe like claire underwood in the house of cards right like the cool people don't talk about their feelings 
in a lot of our pop popular culture. Yeah, and, and also brings up, he talks about how this kind of started for him in high school. And of course, high school is not a place you want to be vulnerable, I imagine, especially as a man or a boy. I'm really interested in knowing a little bit more about, he started counseling for anxiety and depression in 11th grade. And his friend who he connects later with via Instagram also has uh, depression issues. And you just wonder how many kids, especially now, right during COVID are going to be dealing with depression. And as he says, you know, if we can't even tell somebody I'm going to an appointment, how are you going to open up about how you're feeling? Mm. Yeah, one thing I really appreciated in this essay was how it goes from being um, solely from his point of view, and then he starts bringing in outside sources. And this is a new, this is not something that we've had on our podcast before, an essay that incorporates um, outside sources. And I really like the way that he did it. It was a very smooth transition from why was I so scared to open up to other men? And then he goes into, although research has shown that maintaining friendships as you age leads to a healthier life, men often struggle to have personal conversations and keep friends. And then it kind of keeps going down into more research. Yeah, I was, I was interested in that because it's not something that you see in an essay all the time. Sometimes it's more memoir or personal opinion pieces that we're talking about. And this had the edge of being a little bit like a, a research paper, but he kept it personal enough for our taste that we, we still felt like it was a part of a personal essay. Yeah. And I think part of it is that he, he starts out really personal and then he flows into the research part and then he gets back into personal again, talking about how his holding in of, of emotions really contributed to the demise of his first romantic relationship. Yeah, and let me just comment on that. Really, we we talked before on uh, with other essays about the age of the writer. And, oh, I just thought as soon as I read that, my first romantic relationship, he's so young. And yet he's so wise in some ways about realizing this early in his life that this isn't healthy. This isn't a good way for me to be and I need to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually in the footer of the essay, which didn't make it into the um, the part that we read in the, for the episode, it says that he's a writer based in Victoria, British Columbia, and he's a senior at the University of Victoria studying creative writing. So, so he is very young. Yes, and for a college senior to have their piece in the New York Times is quite an accomplishment. One of the things that this piece really reminded about was an episode on one of my very favorite podcasts, uh, The Hidden Brain, which I'm sure most of our listeners know, NPR. It was called The Lonely American Male. And uh, if anybody wants to look up the episode, it was on October 14th of 2019. But in this episode, they talk about how it's become an epidemic for men in America, 
and they talk about in later age, maybe in their 40s and 50s, how men just don't know how next. So it's a little bit different subject, but it's all based on, they start out the episode talking about how when boys are young, 11 or 12, they were interviewed and they talk about how much they love their best friends. They feel mm. like they're connecting and then something happens in puberty in those times where boys becoming men feel like they need to shut off their emotions and become a different kind of male than they are at 11 or 12. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's something I actually think about a lot because I'm raising a boy. He's a baby now, so it's not something I'm worried about at the moment. But I do want to make sure that he has emotionally connecting friendships. It's really important. And I think Josh has seen that. And that's why he's writing about this. I mean, I guess we all know that it's always better to communicate and to be vulnerable but it's such a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if we both feel like it's hard, then I can only imagine how hard it must be for men who aren't raised with the kind of permission to do that. That's right. The only way to start is keep talking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that reminds me of the part in the essay where he talks about his friends having mental health struggles and eventually being diagnosed with bipolar and how how helpful it was to see him share, share that diagnosis with the world through social media. Yeah. And that just opens up a whole other subject that we could have a podcast on social media and how we communicate, because I get the feeling that especially the younger generation, that the way that they communicate so much is through social media, through their phones. They're not actually having conversations and maybe they disagree with me. But as someone who is newly on social media myself, I find it is just a wholly different way to communicate. Sometimes people feel like they're more comfortable being vulnerable, perhaps because they're typing it out or they're pre-recording it. So maybe some would argue that they're open to be more vulnerable rather than face-to-face -face because it is pretty scary to tell someone face-to-face -face how you're actually feeling. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing about, like, I know some friends have shared their mental health struggles on Facebook, but they've never talked about, about them to me in person. And I think it is a little bit easier because it does feel a little bit more, I guess, more anonymous, even though it's obviously not, yeah, just feels less vulnerable to, to share that way. Yeah, and you always wonder why we're so hesitant to share things that are very, very scary for us, emotional for us. I was thinking about a conversation I had to have with a friend at one point that was, I felt was really hurting me and I needed to cut off that relationship and how I just was shaking in my body thinking about having this conversation. Mm. And maybe the way that it's easier for us to do that online is we don't have to shake in front of anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. One, one thing that that part of the essay about his friend coming out as bipolar really brought up was the idea of 
of how much stigma there is around mental health issues. And maybe that's also why Josh felt like he couldn't tell his friends in high school that he was going to a mental health appointment because there is just a lot of stigma. And like his friend says, he wonders if people will want to be there, be his friend anymore. Yeah, my husband has said to me before, you don't know how cruel young boys can be to each other Mm. um, with the bravado sometimes. And I mean, I suppose that's true of, of girls too, but I don't remember not being able to share things with my girlfriends in that same way. There's definitely that mean girl phenomenon that happens where girls are are pretty cruel to each other. But I think you're right that girl friendships, at least when they're when they're going well, there is a lot of of emotional sharing. Definitely. And even if there is that other group that you see as mean, there's often you will have a very close couple of friends, one friend that you feel as a girl that you can share with Mm -hmm. another person. But mental health, yes, I mean, obviously, it's a big, big problem in our country. We have to start taking the stigma away from mental health. And I think essays like this are a good way to start. I like how Josh ends the essay with Dr. Wei emphasizing how boys have the emotional astuteness to comprehend when someone's feeling sad. So we know that a lot of this is cultural. Yeah, it does. It ends on a very hopeful note, which, which was nice. Yeah, I think that if mothers like you try to, to try to nurture their children, their boys into having healthy relationships, that could change things. Yeah, I do hope that the kids much younger than Josh, this next generation of children, hopefully this won't be, won't be as big an issue for the boys. Well, I'd like to thank Josh for being vulnerable enough to share this very fine essay with us. Yeah, thanks, Josh. And we will see you next time. To learn more about this podcast, visit us online at personalelementpodcast.com. There you'll find links to the essays we discuss, information on how to follow us on social media, and more. And so you'll never miss an episode, please subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcast app you use. Thank you.